You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and I want to say thanks for being here. I'm glad you made it, and I'll tell you a little story starting off. Uh, first, first of all, this is a story I was really proud of myself as uh, I, I, I'm not a big guy, right? Like I'm I'm five eight. I mean, I'm pushing five nine, but I round down instead of rounding up, so nobody's really disappointed when they see me. And so, let's say five eight, five nine, probably in college, fully and properly, and weighed about a hundred and fifty five pounds, and. I, like I'm, I was a small guy, but I was strong. And I remember my first time benching 225 uh, while while being such a small guy, and then jumping up and down and being really excited because relative to my body weight, I was quite strong. And then I went to a friend's house, and I love archery, like bow and arrow all day long. I love it. And he had a compound bow that was a little bit heavy for me. And I could do it, I could do it for a few reps, you know, do it, and we were aiming at at cans and whatever, whatever we were aiming at in his backyard and shooting arrows at targets. And I took a far step back and I kept trying to hit this can and I couldn't hit it. I tried again, couldn't hit, tried again. And I was like, I'm not leaving here until I hit this can. Well, the bow was too heavy. It was very difficult to pull back. I had to do some some creative moves in order to make it happen. And eventually I hit the can and I was, thank goodness that's over. My shoulder is killing me. And it hasn't stopped. <laughs> I mean, it has stopped. It's, an, it's no longer bothering me, but it ain't right. Like there's something wrong with that shoulder still to this day that I can no longer do bench press. And about every single year I start, I'll do bench press just to be like, oh, let me get back under the bar, see how it feels. And I'll try to do bench press and it'll feel fine. And then a couple of days later, it, my shoulder is shot, it hurts. And so that's done, that's done. I don't do bench press anymore. I don't even practice, I don't get under the bar. And that's for me, that's not for you. This is just a build up to the story and what we're gonna be talking about. So, uh, barbell, no, not good. Dumbbells, totally fine. I can do it. Doesn't bother my shoulder at all. So I figure that's a good lesson leading up to what I assume happened, which is uh, something took place with my rotator cuff that it is no longer appropriately stabilizing that shoulder joint. Well, uh, of course, I never really got it looked at. And uh, as, a, as a high school person, uh, sorry, high school, uh, college person, I'm like, I'll be fine, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. And eventually it just turned into what my shoulder exists as, avoid bench press and I'm pretty much okay. So I don't even, I don't even look into it anymore. But one of the things that we're going to look in today is a follow-up on the functional anatomy series that we had started a long time ago, and I gave you three in a row, boom, 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 functional anatomy series, and then I peppered one in not too long ago. So I'm following back up with that functional anatomy series, and we're gonna be talking about the rotator cuff. And there are four muscles in the rotator cuff you need to be familiar with. 
Oftentimes they're referred to as the sits muscle, S-I-T-S. And that is because the first, the letter of each of those associates with the first letter in each of the four muscles that are part of the rotator cuff. So let's go through the rotator cuff. Let's talk about what the rotator cuff is, what they do, what their kind of um, isolated concentric and eccentric joint actions are, but then let's talk about what their function is because it is a functional anatomy. And yes, concentric, eccentric, and isometric are all important, but understanding it's real to do in the body is highly important. So let's get to that. The first thing we're going to talk about is just the attachment points. So let's, let's go through the muscles names. So supraspinatus or spinatus, I might say those interchangeably, and to be honest, there's no right way on this, uh, and people will have an opinion of that, and those are simply then opinions. So supraspinatus or supraspinatus, that'll be the first one. The second one, in sits, so S-I-T-S, the S, supraspinatus. The I, infraspinatus or spinatus. The T, teres minor, not to be confused with the teres major, which is the lat's little brother, and we talked about in the previous functional anatomy episode. So the teres minor, and then the subscapularis. So let's do a couple of things. Let's talk about um, attachment points. So proximal and distal attachment. So the supraspinatus, here's what I want you to think about. The, the, the scapula, at the very top of it, there is a, a border, a bony protuberance that comes out and it creates a fin or a spine in the scapula and it runs um it runs latitude right so from left to right not up and down the spine of the scapula and there is a fossa below and a fossa above so above is the supra supra meaning above spinatus what is the spinatus the spine of the scapula. So there is a muscle, the supraspinatus, it tells you exactly where it is. It is supra above the spinatus, the spine of the scapula. So it goes from that supraspinatus fossa on the posterior scapula, and then it attaches to the greater tubercle of the humerus. Now the humerus has a couple of notches on it. There is a tube, and that notch is called a tubercle, and there is a larger tubercle and a smaller tubercle. The smaller one is uh, lesser, the, the larger one is the greater. So this one will attach, pardon me, to the greater tubercle, not the lesser, the greater tubercle of the humerus. All right, that's the supraspinatus. Well, now below the spine of the scapula is the infraspinatus. Infra means below spinatus, spine of the scapula. So below the spine of the scapula is the infraspinatus fossa on the posterior scapula, and it goes across the shoulder joint, and it also attaches to the greater tubercle of the humerus. Um, and it's right next to, it's just posterior to the supraspinatus insertion. And then there's the teres major. The teres major, it is going to have its proximal attachment. Now, proximal meaning closer to the body, distal meaning away. These muscles are not very long, but the proximal attachment for the teres minor is on the posterior superior half of the spine of the scapula. And then it's going to cross over. It's going to cross over and attach to the greater tubercle of the humerus, inferior to where the infraspinatus is. 
All right. All of those, those three, are on the posterior scapula. There's one, the subscapularis. It's on the anterior. So the word sub means below or under. So think about this. If you're looking at somebody's back and you see their scapula, their shoulder blades, below that, underneath the scapula. So if you pulled the scapula off and looked underneath it, on the anterior side of the scapula is the subscapularis, the below scapularis, the under the scapula muscle. And it goes from subscapular fossa, just a little indention of fossa, and it crosses over from the anterior scapula and attaches to the lesser tubercle of the humerus. The greater tubercle is a big notch, the lesser tubercle is a small notch, and it attaches to it. Well, now, I understand that these, each of these are going to have their own little things that they're supposed to be doing. What do each of them individually do? So let's go back to the supraspinatus and talk through these things. The first thing that you're going to see, supraspinatus is going to work in the frontal plane. Frontal plane, it is going to cross the shoulder joint. So it works at the shoulder joint. All of them do. And it does something very important. It initiates abduction. It initiates abduction of the shoulder. Now, it is on the top of that fossa, and it goes across the shoulder on the superior side of it. So when that muscle shortens concentrically, it initiates abduction. Now, once it initiates abduction, the deltoid, if you're looking to abduct, your shoulder, moving it away from the midline. As you abduct, something's got to start that off. And so the supraspinatus begins, it initiates abduction, and then the deltoid can more easily take over. If the supraspinatus isn't working, then the deltoid tries to do it by itself, and it just takes the humeral head and just kind of smashes it up into that, um, that supraspinatus um, space. Uh, between the acromion process, um, yeah, so the acromion process and um, the head of the humerus. So if that supraspinatus doesn't work, then we don't initiate that abduction and it can lead to an impingement. All right, that's supraspinatus. What does it do? Works in the frontal plane. It initiates abduction of the humerus. What about the infraspinatus? Infraspinatus is gonna be more in the transverse plane. If you look at the direction of the fibers, they run pretty much horizontally and it goes behind the shoulder joint. It attaches to the greater tubercle of the humerus and it creates this lateral rotation. It does lateral rotation, external rotation at the shoulder joint. It can also assist in horizontal abduction. It's like a rear delt fly. So it can assist in a rear delt fly. But it's a thing when you see people um, holding onto a cable or lying on their side and they take a dumbbell and they're keeping their elbow touching their waist and they're rotating their hand laterally against resistance, they're trying, to, they're trying to work, they're trying to strengthen their infraspinatus muscle. Why are they doing that? Well, a lot of times, especially in the case of impingement, the, the, the head of the humerus gets kind of smashed up into that 
the fossa of, of the glenohumeral joint. And the external rotations with the infraspinatus and the teres minor, who also works in the transverse plane, who also crosses over the shoulder joint and does lateral rotation, not really part of the horizontal abduction, but the teres minor can do lateral rotation. Those two muscles, when you do these external rotation exercises, they strengthen. But because of their positioning at the shoulder, they have an inferior pull on the humerus, which means it pulls it out from being stuck up in this impinging place. So the reason why you might see people doing these lateral rotations for the rotator cuff is because they might potentially be impinged and they have been told by their physical therapist to do this exercise to help stabilize the shoulder joint and to pull down the humeral head just a little bit so it's not impinging. That's the why when you see those things. All right, so we've talked about supraspinatus, infraspinatus, teres minor. Now the subscapularis. Subscapularis, it's also gonna work in the transverse plane. Crosses over the shoulder joint from the anterior humerus, and then it does medial rotation. It does internal rotation. So it is opposing the other two rotator cuffs. It is going to do internal rotation or medial rotation of the humerus. Now they don't have big lever arms. They're not strong rotators. They are rotators. They're important. But now let's talk about well, let's talk about what they do eccentrically. Eccentrically, they decelerate all of those concentric things. So the supraspinatus concentrically abducts, so it will eccentrically adduct. The infraspinatus concentrically does lateral rotation with that dumbbell or that cable, which means it is now also decelerating medial rotation or internal rotation. It does horizontal abduction, and the transverse plane. So it will decelerate horizontal adduction in the transverse plane. Teres minor, same thing, lateral rotation, decelerates medial rotation. Subscapularis does internal rotation or medial rotation. It decelerates the, the lateral rotation. Cool. Now, I hit you with far too many things in a row, a lot of verbiage, but what's its job? What's the function, the real functional job of the rotator cuff? It's to keep your humerus attached to the shoulder. It is to keep the humeral head in that glenoid fossa. So a lot of times that we, this, this joint, it's not like the hip joint, that ball and socket joint right there and that hip joint, it grabs the head of the femur and it holds it in, and there's a labrum, and it makes it much deeper so it can hold that in there, and there's a lot. The humerus doesn't look like that, doesn't play that way. The humerus is more like a golf tee with a golf ball sitting on top of it, and a, and, and a, a gentle gust of wind could blow a golf ball off of a tee. Now, why do we focus on stabilizing the shoulders? Well, with great power comes great responsibility. There is an incredible amount of range of motion at the shoulder. We have a huge capacity for range of motion at the shoulder. You look at the shoulders versus the hips, there is a clear winner 
when it comes to the range of motion game. The shoulder has far more range of motion in that ball and socket joint than the hip does. Because we have that range of motion, we sacrifice stability. And when we build these larger muscles around it, the pecs and the delts and the lats all crossing at the teres major, all crossing over the shoulder joint, and they want to create big movements, but they are not good stabilizers. They're good movers, but not good stabilizers. The rotator cuff is a really good stabilizer. It's not a good mover. It's not a strong mover. It does those things. It has those jobs as we just talked about. But its function is to keep your shoulder inside of that socket. And so we might also add another one in there. And I think this one's important. It is the, the, the tendon of the biceps. So the biceps tendon, the, the long head of the biceps crosses over the anterior shoulder. I mean, I guess they both do, but particularly that long head um, keeps the shoulder joint from anterior translation, from jutting forward anteriorly. And so we see a lot of times when people do their rows that they don't pull the scapula back and the shoulder just kind of spins in socket and you see the head of that humerus jutting forward anteriorly and it's the biceps tendon that can kind of support it from the front to keep it in place and then the muscles in the back are squeezing trying to keep it in place there's a correlation between the strength of the rotator cuff and the strength of your grip why because when you walk around holding things if your hands can hold it and your shoulders can't, you will let go of it. If your shoulders can hold it and your hands can't, then you can strengthen your hands to meet with your shoulders. But they work in tandem to create these carries, whether it's a farmer's carry, whether it's a suitcase carry, uh, a kettlebell up, bottoms up carry, or carrying your groceries, it doesn't matter. The rotator cuff has to stabilize that. That's why I'm a, I, I'm a big fan of loaded carries. I think people need stronger grip strength and people need stronger rotator cuffs. And so let's add that to the list. It's great core. Your core's got to support that, especially dynamically as you're moving. So I think it's valuable. I think it's valuable to have uh, a topic that we're covering the rotator cuff. The rotator cuff. My name is Rick Ritchie. This is a, this is a little conversation on the rotator cuff that we're talking about today, a follow-up on the functional anatomy course that we had. I'm gonna go ahead and make a call out for any questions that you have, because this is not one of the long interviews where I've got somebody on for 45 to 55 minutes talking. So I'm gonna wrap up shortly, but if you have questions and you're listening to the Facebook live stream and you have questions about the rotator cuff, then please send me a message and uh, Eric will take care. So we got one already. Eric, Eric, are you joining me today? Face and voice. Oh, yeah, Rick. It's time I made my NASM CPT podcast debut. So nice to see you. Oh, I'm so happy you're doing that. I know I so called nice you out last you. week for just sending me questions, but not popping yeah. on like Greg used to do. And, uh, and now here you, you reached out afterwards and you were like, uh, I'll do it. I just didn't think you wanted. I want you to. I'm glad you're here. I'm just sort of learning the ropes here as the quote unquote new guy, but I'm not that new anymore. So we do have a question. I'll pop it up here and uh, you can give it a go. Okay. So uh, Keith wants to know the best activation exercise 
for rotator cuff? Uh, it's a good question. And I don't know if I have the best one for you, Keith, but I've got some good ones. Um, one is that those internal external rotation exercises, I like fine. They're fine. They're good even exercises for the rotator cuff to, to activate them. I don't think anybody should be one rep maxing their rotator cuff exercises at all. So using a relatively light weight that you can do slowly and you're doing this slowly with the, you know, with a, you see people like bundle up a towel and put it between their elbow and, or their lower humerus and, and their side. And you see them doing that. That just leaves a little abduction. It keeps it from, from dropping down too much. Uh, it supports the positioning and you have to keep it there. So you don't lift your arm away. So it's just a good cueing tool. So those are great external rotations primarily. The internal rotations, you may find that necessary for the subscapularis, but think about it. Most people are already there. They're already internally rotated at the shoulder. So it's the lateral rotations that we need to strengthen. So I like, I like those lateral rotations. And then let's go back to the carries. I think carries, loaded carries to start the day to start the training as like a prep for spinal stability, for scapular stability, and for rotator cuff stability. I think those are really good warm-up exercises. So uh, I hope that helps. And uh, Keith, thanks for asking the question. All right, Eric, what else we got? All right, let's keep this going, Rick. Uh, okay, here we go. This one is from Cassandra. How is the rotator connected to elbow tendinitis or impingement? Is it connected? Cassandra, that question, let me just follow up real quick with, are you talking about impingement at the elbow or are you talking about impingement at the shoulder? Um, and you don't have to answer the question actually because I'll answer it. The elbow, I don't know. Uh, the shoulder, 100% connected to um, impingement or not having impingement at the shoulder. So let's talk about, um, let's talk about arthrokinematics for just a moment. There are theoretically three things that your joint can do when it moves. It can roll, it can spin, and it can glide or slide, right? So roll, spin, and glide. Now, the rotator cuff, I want you to think about it. If, if you're on top of a, a treatment table, like a massage table, and I say, uh, roll over. So I'm going to do the, I'm going to look at this from the other side. Go ahead and roll over. If you rolled over without spinning in place, you would roll off the treatment table. You would roll off. So it's also important that you glide on top of the treatment table. So you roll over, but then you glide in place. You glide in place. So when you roll and glide, issues with the rotator cuff, a lot of times, at the shoulder, it will roll as the arm goes up in the air. It will roll, but it may not glide to stay down in position. So it'll go up and sometimes get stuck. So I want it to stay here, go up and stay in that fossa, stay in that position. And the rotator cuff um, navigates that. It steers that. 
If it's not working correctly, then usually because there's one muscle pulling it to move and the other muscle is not supporting it to stay. So it is a stabilizer in many other ways too, to support the roll and the glide so that that joint stays in place. Now there are some other components to it, which will be our next functional anatomy talk where we will get into scapular movement and the the muscles that uh, address that. So like the shoulder, um, the sorry, the the traps and the rhomboids and the levator and, and those kind of muscles we'll get into next. Does it affect elbow tendonitis? It can, yes. In fact, it's kind of like when people get done having like knee rehab and they do a lot of hip exercises, same thing. Some of the exercises that you would do for your elbow are actually coming from the shoulder. And if you've done the, the corrective exercise specialist course, we talk about regional interdependence model. And the regional interdependence says that the, the good movement at one place kind of depends on good movement at another place, especially if it's proximal, right? Like it's hard for me to move dysfunctionally proximal at my shoulder and expect my elbow to, all, to just work fine. So the, there is, there is a um, regional interdependence where one joint's ability to move well depends on another joint's ability to, to move well. So are they connected? Cassandra, yes, absolutely they are. I appreciate the question. Thank you so much for asking it. Right. Uh, Eric, anything? You ready? Else? Let's keep oh, rolling. Keep coming, we yeah. Go, man. We have another one. This one's a long one from Chris. Chris wants to know, both it's too long. I'm sorry, surface. Chris. We can't do it. All right. Just no, we're gonna get rid of it. no, no, no. We're just kidding. We're just kidding. All right. You drink your coffee. I'll get this thing going here. Both arms have three surgeries, rotator cuffs, torn pec in right, torn bicep in left. Tendons around the cuffs swell every morning. Basketball is my love. What exercises are best weights or resistant bands? I get in a tub of ice after basketball mornings and evenings. My left elbow has been hurting me like tennis elbow. What? do I do? All right, Christopher, first of all, that's a really long thing. So next time, don't do it that long. I'm just kidding. You're totally fine. Thank you for, um, thank you for that. I have a feeling that many people that are corrective exercise specialists know exactly what I'm going to say. And at least if you don't know exactly what I'm going to say, you're hoping like Rick, don't answer this question unless you say this. So here it goes. You need to go to a specialist, not a personal trainer, and get it checked out, man. Like that is messed up. So there's there's some issues going on with the shoulder and certainly uh, I can't address this from here, but also in general, if, if somebody came in to work out with me and that's what they said, I'd be like, look, I can I can work with you. I can help you with some things. Um, I can work around your shoulder to make sure whatever we do and it doesn't inflame or hurt your shoulder or your elbow because it's starting to go there. Just like Cassandra had mentioned, is there a correlation? Seems like we're seeing that just in Christopher's comments. Uh, you got you got to go to physical therapy. You may even need to go to an orthopedist to have them look at it. You may need to get imaging. And then therapy and that physical therapy could help. And it may be even worse than that so that the imaging might show something else 
a little more severe than just physical therapy to help support it. And those are things you got to look at. And they're not things you want to hear. I know, man, I know you were like, please just tell me to do a couple of the, the little wax on, wax off moves with the shoulder and stabilize it, range of motion stuff, uh, a few strengthening exercises, and then basketball is going to be fine. I don't know that that's the case. I don't, I don't know that. And I, I want you to take care of you. Chances are, if you're listening to this and watching this, you're in the fitness industry as a fitness professional. We do have people, casual listeners that like the podcast that aren't in the fitness industry, but you know, designed for CPT, certified personal trainers. And if you're a personal trainer, that's a scary thought, right? Taking time off to take care of you and we don't do that as trainers a lot. We don't do it the way we should. And we will wreck our clients if they were like, ah, oh, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to, you know, like, you know, it doesn't bother me that much unless I'm working out. So I won't get it looked at. And we'd be like, what are you out of your mind? But when it happens to us, we're like, what? No, I work out, love basketball. It hurts really bad. But if I just like ice it, an ice bath and take some NSAIDs and I'll be fine. Uh, it's don't do you that way. Don't do yourself differently than you do your clients. And you know, if your client came in like that, you would let them know they got to get it checked out. I'm with your clients on this one. You need to go get it checked out. You got to get it looked at. I'm so sorry, Christopher. And I hope that it is an easy fix with some therapeutic work. Uh, you and your uh, orthopedist and physical therapist are able to identify the issue and implement a program very specific to you that's going to help that get better. So I wish you, I wish you all the best, Christopher. I really do. All right, Eric, do we have any other questions? We do. We do. Next one. Uh, this is from, I believe, Rocio. Apologize if I didn't get the name correct. For someone recovering from a small rotator cuff injury, cleared from her PT for exercising, is it better to focus first on only rotator cuff exercises? before any overhead presses? Thank you. So that's a great question, Rocio. I, so overhead is like the last frontier, okay? So if they just had um, been released, overhead is the last frontier. And then you probably wanna, so what happens, you have something called an open packed position in the shoulder and a closed pack. Open pack means you got like a lot of movement at the shoulder joint. As you take it to its end range of motion, it starts to become closed packed, which means that joint's not gonna move very much because all of the muscles around it have either been stretched or activated to keep it safe. Um, think about the knee. The knee, if you bend your knee, you can kind of move it different ways. If you put your knee out straight, that's closed packed. So if anybody kind of bumps into you from the side when your knee is straight, that creates potentially a lot more dangerous situation than if your knee was slightly bent and somebody hits and then your knee can kind of shift and move. All right. So with that being said, this you want to stay away from these closed packed positions, especially under load during this post rehabilitative process. Also, things like in the frontal plane tend to, to give a lot more issues. So keep more scapular plane. So think about sagittal or scapular, but not completely frontal. You want to be very aware of the position that that shoulder is in. And then 
honestly, like their feedback is so valuable. But sometimes they're not going to give it because they're your clients and they want to do what you tell them to do and they want to not hurt. So they'll pretend sometimes that they're not hurt. Some clients are real quick to tell you, nah, not good. Other clients are not. You got to ask those questions. You got to make sure with your client that you're working with, do you feel it in the muscle or do you feel it in the joint? Because if you feel it in the joint, we are done for. We are not on this exercise anymore. We don't need to do this exercise. So could I do like just rotator cuff exercises? I think you can and I think you should. And just like we talked about, I believe it was uh, Chris had asked the question, what can we do? I think I think doing the, the internal external rotation, um, doing it um, with the arm by your side, uh, touching your waist and doing it and then taking it out. So like abduct about 90 degrees, a little less than 90 degrees in the frontal plane and then do your rotations the same way. Make sure there's no pinching and just strengthening it in different ranges of motion. So it's not always down at the side that you're strengthening elsewhere, doing some loaded carries, doing some bottoms up kettlebell exercises. The, there's a correlation with how much you squeeze your fist and how much your rotator cuff activates. And I think that's probably why the bottoms up kettlebell exercise have become kind of popular is that you really have to squeeze tight that handle so the kettlebell doesn't flop one way or the other and you're holding it up so your shoulders working, your rotator cuffs working, your grip is like doing an extra activation for the rotator cuff. So those are good exercises. And then move away from the therapeutic stuff and then do some exercises. Um, and I think that you should probably also incorporate a lot of horizontal abduction, like rear delt fly exercises as a strengthening component. A lot of times people like to go overhead and they like to push forward, but we are weaker on our pulling. So maybe a high row, uh, and a rear delt fly where we're working in the transverse plane to really strengthen the posterior deltoids. And remember, the the uh, infraspinatus is one of those rotator cuffs that does horizontal abduction. So I think those are some really good exercises to prepare your client to get them stronger and lead them to better rotator cuff health um, post-therapy on that. All right. All right. We have one more and I apologize that, you know, this truly is a live stream when the people next door are uh, mowing their grass, but we'll just keep yep. this going. You know, it's, this is what we do here, Rick. All right. So uh, Theodore asks, how does all this fit into frozen shoulder? Great. Um, Theodore, thanks for the question. And Eric, I'll just let you know, literally seconds before we started, FedEx buzzed my buzzer and I was like, oh my goodness. So uh, I dodged that bullet, but we got the leaf blower, the lawnmower with you. Totally fine, man. This is just how things go. Frozen shoulder is awful. I've had clients with frozen shoulder. There's nothing that we can do as personal trainers to help with frozen shoulder. Um, you know, there's frozen shoulder takes time and, and therapy, and you can reach out to the physical therapist and say, Hey, I'm working with your patient, my client. Once we get clearance from the client and they connect us together to find out what can I do on my end 
that's not a different kind of protocol, a stretching, a strength, like most of the stuff we, I, I say stay away from it, but if I can support it and it's cleared through the physical therapist and somebody's going to come and work out anyway, are there things that I can do about frozen shoulder with my clients? And, um, and, and if you're cleared by physical therapist to do that, then you probably could do a few exercises. And I can't even tell you what those are. I know I've done things with, with people in the past. And sometimes the physical therapist says, please don't do anything. I don't want anything to get in the way of the therapeutic process that we're implementing. So you do this and I'm doing this. And now we don't know what, what inflamed somebody, what sent them in a good direction or what sent them in a bad direction. So frozen shoulder, people literally, like there's quite literally no movement in the shoulder or very little. And it takes uh, some, I think it's nine months to two years for a typical case of frozen shoulder to begin to resolve. And that's, you know, from therapeutic processes, we don't even know how well the therapies work, but we have to try to strengthen those shoulders and get some movement in there. So I just say, uh, send them, make sure they're going to a physical therapist and then discuss with their PT what it is that we can do to help support it on our end, if anything. And if not, I guess core and, uh, uh, legs, and you might be able to do like arm exercises that don't involve the, the shoulder itself and you can work on the other side. So it might be a lady in the water situation where you got somebody just jacked on one side and then little on the other. You've got to play catch up later down the road. All right. Uh, I hope that helps. And I appreciate your time. I appreciate your questions and your inquiries. And I hope the responses were helpful. I, I know that sometimes it'd be perturbing too, where you're like, I ask questions and all he keeps doing is telling me to go to see a doctor or physical therapist. And that's because we're personal trainers. That's because we're personal trainers and we need to stay in our lane. It doesn't mean that we can't do corrective exercises. It doesn't mean that at all. But we need to do what's in the best interest of our clients. And we can't say, oh, I do, I do this. You might as well come to me instead of physical therapy because I can do both. Better be real careful with how you speak and the accolades that you provide for yourself because... Um, overstepping your boundaries, particularly in a very litigious society. And we see more and more litigation going on towards fitness than we have seen in the past. So be aware of it and you're not overstepping your boundaries. You're not riding outside your lanes. And just think about it less about that and more about expanding your network. The opportunity to speak to other professionals, uh, physicians and physiatrists and orthopedists and physical and physiotherapists so that you are expanding your network. And I tell people all the time, when you're dragging the ocean, the better way to catch more fish is to get a bigger net. So build your network and connect with people. I hope you found this helpful. I appreciate your time. Thanks for listening. My name is Rick Ritchie. You can ask questions. I want to shout out actually, because uh, I believe it was Christian asked the question to me, hey, can you do some more of those functional anatomy uh, um, 
sessions on on your podcast and i was like oh man i forgot about them i can't believe i haven't done them so thanks for that heads up and that's because somebody emailed me so email me rick.richie r-i-c-h-e-y at nasm.org or you can hit me up dm me on instagram where i'm most active at dr.rickrichie this has been the nasm cpt podcast <laughs>